Issues Etc. is listener-supported. We rely on you for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Now, if you appreciate Issues Etc., please consider making a tax-deductible gift today. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Issues Etc., Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. And thanks for your support. stanza one of the Palm Sunday hymn, All Glory, Laud, and Honor. It will be sung in many churches with palms, with a procession of children often, to kick off a Sunday that's trying to do, well, a couple things. It's the beginning of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Christ's triumphal entry in Jerusalem is the narrative because that's how the first Holy Week began. It is also, well, the beginning of Holy Week, and so this triumphal entry is pointing us and directed to, of course, the cross and to Good Friday and to Easter, and there's an awful lot there if one is looking forward to this coming Sunday. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live this Monday afternoon, April the 3rd. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Palm Sunday and Sunday of the Passion. Dr. Carl Fikentra of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, here in the first hour of the program. In hour two, part five of our series on Christian devotion, we're going to be talking about meditating on the text. And there the emphasis is on the text, not on whatever people think meditation might be. We'll spend some time with Bill McKeever of Mormonism Research Ministry, talking about a recent AP story on Mormon leaders encouraging more baptisms for the dead. That's an odd practice of Mormonism. We'll try and figure out what it's all about. And then Pastor Hans Feeney joins us from The Federalist. We'll talk about the, well, really out of proportion, out of all proportion, outrage over comments made by Vice President Mike Pence about being alone with women other than his wife. That'll round off the two hours of issues, etc. ahead. You can join us with questions or comments during those two hours or call in number 1-877-623-6943, 1-877-623-MIIE. Send us an email, talk back at issuesetc.org, tweet at issuesetc, and the issues, etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Joining us to look forward to Palm Sunday, not just any Sunday, but a Sunday packed full of things that, well, there's almost too much to talk about, and it's doing double duty as Sunday of the Passion. Dr. Carl Fikentcher, Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions, teaching primarily in the area of preaching at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Fikentcher, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. This is a great week to get to do it together. So we're kicking off a week here that is going to begin with Palm Sunday and will end with Easter. A lot in between those two gigantic events. And so much for, say, the the worshiper, even for the preacher there, is it possible 
to boil it all down to one brief summary, or is that just too much to ask? Well, obviously, there is an awful lot. And to review, what our lectionary has done is very challenging, as you say, but valuable as well. Of course, Palm Sunday, this coming Sunday, does begin Holy Week, and there's a specific event that is associated with Palm Sunday. We'll look at that in our processional gospel. But then the lectionary in the last number of years has also made Palm Sunday the Sunday of the Passion, as you mentioned, for the purpose of reading, at least hearing, and perhaps also preaching on the events of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. The idea is that, unfortunately, not everyone is in church on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and it would be a huge tragedy if regular, otherwise regular worshipers were to go through their entire year and perhaps year after year after year and never hear the actual events of, well, Jesus dying on the cross as the focused event of the day. Christ crucified is the point of every sermon, at least it should be. It is the underlying element in every text, so it should really be developed in every Sunday and every sermon. But we certainly want to hear the actual account of Jesus' death and resurrection, and we'll hear the resurrection on Easter, but we don't want to miss out on hearing the event of the cross. Likewise, Monday Thursday is loaded with so many things, including the the institution of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which Jesus gives us that night, and that is the primary focus of our worship services on Monday Thursday, which means that even Monday Thursday, when we have actual dedicated services, uh, often does not take full opportunity to declare the other things that happened that night. So, Palm Sunday slash Sunday of the Passion does indeed, as you said, do double duty, looking at the event of Palm Sunday, but then also looking at the narrative of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. Now, that is way too much to to handle in, let's say, one sermon or one service. But as we look at all of the events of Holy Week— What we'll really see, and this is what we'll focus on in this hour, what we'll really see is that everything that is happening is ultimately pointing us to the cross. As we've said, that really is the point of every Sunday, every text, every sermon it should be. But during this week, already beginning on Sunday, Palm Sunday, then certainly in the events of Monday, Thursday, and obviously in Good Friday, we really are delivering to the cross. And so that's what we'll look at as we look at the Palm Sunday propers together now. And I'd really like primarily to look at those, uh, but then we'll also conclude today by at least taking a partial look at some of the passion reading that may be heard in our churches this coming Sunday as well. It is a tall order, no question about that, Todd, but we'll take a go at it. So there is this procession gospel. Sometimes this happens in the church here where there's a gospel that is read at the beginning, and then there's one that read is read in the place where the gospel normally falls, and I, I assume that's why you want to begin with the beginning gospel. Right. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19 is designated as the Palm Sunday procession because, of course, that's what the event is. It's the narrative of Jesus entering triumphally into Jerusalem, and churches will often handle this in, in special ways. In my last congregation in Texas, where the weather was often pretty good by this time of the year, we actually began with mem- many of our worshipers outside gathering with, with palm branches that we provided, and then processing into the sanctuary where other worshipers were already seated or standing, 
actually to to welcome the procession. There are a lot of things that, that might be done with this that that help to dramatize or visualize what's going on. But the main thing, of course, is the word itself, the account. And here it is: the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is one of the accounts. All four Gospels actually have an account of the Palm Sunday triumphal entry. John's gospel gives us some interesting details that are well worth noting. We, we notice, first of all, verse 12, as it begins, that a crowd has gathered for the feast. This, of course, is Passover week. So in any year at this, at, uh, at this generation or, or really for a thousand years, crowds would have been gathering in Jerusalem for this feast, the annual feast that recalled God bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt by the killing of the firstborn of the Egyptians, but passing over the houses of the Israelites when the angel of death saw the blood of a spotless lamb over the door. This is obviously something that is coming to fruition after over 1,400 years, almost 1,500 years uh, of anticipation. The sacrifice of the lamb always signified the sacrifice of Christ coming And now that time is before us. Jesus, the the Lamb of God, is coming to be the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. And we also notice that this particular year, the crowd has even additional anticipation, as the text mentions later on. Remember, Todd, of course, we talked last Sunday, for last Sunday's uh, lessons, about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, that small town just outside of Jerusalem, where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha lived, and the huge hubbub that came as a result of a man being raised from the dead by Jesus so very close to Jerusalem had caused huge consternation among the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish council, the chief priests, and the Pharisees. And so it's uh, even more this particular Passover than other years that there is great anticipation for Jesus coming to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, it says. John's gospel is the one gospel that mentions palms per se. Other uh, gospels mention the leafy uh, branches. Here the palm branches are specified in John's gospel. That, that of course, gives us the name of the day, Palm Sunday. The palms are also a, a beautiful allusion to what we will see later on in John's Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, when John has a vision of heaven, he will see the saints in heaven waving palm branches. So it's a very consistent kind of thing, a celebration that we see also carrying on into eternity. And as the crowds welcome Jesus waving those palm branches, they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, 
even the king of Israel. This is a citation from Psalm 118, known as the Great Hallel. It is one of those uh, uh, magnificent Hallel psalms, praise psalms, uh, beginning at uh, 111 and going through 118, that were part of the Passover celebration. So this is essentially part of the liturgy of the week to be using Psalm 118. Hosanna means now save us. It's calling out for the Lord to save us. And when this is announced as Jesus comes into the city, it obviously is, an, is recognizing, acknowledging that Jesus is the one we're counting on to be the Savior. We're, we're, we're hoping, anticipating, trusting that Yahweh is coming to save now in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. There's that magnificent coronation kind of imagery that Jesus is being received as king. And that also very much is the context of Psalm 118. It really is a kind of coronation psalm. John's gospel is interesting. It says, verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. It almost sounds as if the, the, the crowd is, is urging him on. He says, oh, I guess I better do this. Actually, in the other gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's quite clear that Jesus has anticipated this. He sent the disciples actually to go and get the donkey. So he's come already mounted. But John's gospel points out that it's a clear connection to what the crowds are anticipating. And John gives us the citation from Zechariah chapter 9, fear not daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. The prophecy that Zechariah had given centuries before that indicated that the Messiah would come in this way. So it's no accident that Jesus anticipated this. It's no accident that Jesus sent the disciples to get a donkey because Jesus knew this is exactly the way he is to come in order to be recognized as the Messiah. Now, as we see all of this happening, of course, we sense a magnificent celebration. There's no question. It's a very festive occasion. The crowds are, are delighted. They're thrilled. Uh, their, their chants, their, their calls out are uh, expressing tremendous joy and excitement at the event that is before us. And that is very much a part of Palm Sunday. So when we process into our churches and we wave palm branches this coming Sunday and sing hymns like the hymn of the day, all glory, laud, and honor, uh, that will be a festive moment, no question. The problem, though, which is not uncommon, is to misunderstand the festivity of Palm Sunday as being what could have been an end in itself. In fact, evangelical theology these days often sees Palm Sunday as the almost not quite, uh, where it, would, it, it could have been, it just could have been, that Jesus would be welcomed as the Messiah at this point, and, and all would be good, but instead the crowd turns against him, and then the, the crucifixion comes up, and then we have to go to plan B, in essence. Well, that, of course, was never God's design at all. And what we'll see as we look through all of the propers today is one indication after another after another that this festive moment of Palm Sunday is really all pointing to the cross. As we said, that really is the summary of what's going on throughout Holy Week. It's very clear, actually, in verse 16, when John says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. We might say, well, he's being glorified right now. I mean, what, what's more to do than have adoring crowds welcome him into the capital city? 
actually, and this is quite frequently done in the gospel, specifically in John's gospel, Jesus being glorified is definitely a reference to his suffering and death on the cross, followed by his resurrection and his ascension. Essentially, those seen as a package. Yes, the resurrection. Yes, the ascension. But the cross, Jesus' death being an essential part, an integral part of Jesus being glorified. Jesus is glorified when he goes to the cross. God confirms that with his resurrection and then receiving him into heaven at the ascension. Even later on this very same chapter, John chapter 12, in verse 23, Jesus will say, now is the Son of Man glorified. And that means the very events that are about to take place during Holy Week with Jesus' death on the cross being absolutely essential. So this festivity of Palm Sunday is a cause of celebration, no question, but we miss the point of the celebration if we don't see that the glory is really in the cross. At the end of the text, we see that again confirmed. It says, the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This recalls the end of our gospel reading last Sunday, Todd, when we saw after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, some of the people that saw that, that witnessed that amazing miracle, went and told the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, along with the chief priests, then called a council, a meeting of the Sanhedrin, and that's where Caiaphas, the high priest, had said, it is expedient that one man should die and not the whole nation perish. And John interjects there that he actually is speaking a true prophecy of Jesus dying for the Jewish nation and, in fact, for the whole world. So, as we celebrate Palm Sunday this week with joy and palm branches and hymns that that, that delight us, let us remember that everything we'll be seeing here will really be pointing us to the cross. If you would, before we take our break, the gradual, and you wanted to kind of get a jump on the theme. I do, right away. The gradual for this Sunday will be the gradual throughout Holy Week, and that's special. Remember, the gradual covers an entire season, but Holy Week is really seen as a mini-season in itself. So the gradual for this coming Sunday is now different from what we've been having through Lent, and the gradual for this Sunday really does essentially give me where I'll go with my theme. The gradual from Hebrews chapter 9 and also including Psalm 111. Christ entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Hebrews chapter 9, which gives us that first verse, is so significant. Christ entered once for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Here on Palm Sunday, we see Christ entering. We see the triumphal entering, the triumphal entrance that we celebrate as the event of Palm Sunday. The writer of the Hebrews explains that when Christ went to the cross, that was entering into the heavenly holy place, which was symbolized by the holy place in the temple, which no one could enter except at death. The high priest could go in once a year with a bloody sacrifice. If anyone went in any other time, he would be struck down dead. Christ enters the holy place by means of his own blood, his blood in place of a sacrifice of a bull, his own blood, 
which secures an eternal redemption. In other words, Christ going to the cross really is this entering the holy place that the writer of the Hebrews is talking about. And that gives me, Todd, my theme for this week, and we'll see how this unpacks with the rest of the propers. I would say the theme for the Sunday is this. Christ's triumphal entry is into the holy places by means of his blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Christ's triumphal entry, we talk about that in, on Palm Sunday, it really is the entrance that the, that the writer of the Hebrews is speaking of. Christ's triumphal entry is into the holy places by means of his blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. It's all about Christ going to the cross, even as he goes into the city of Jerusalem. Dr. Carl Fikentcher is our guest. We're looking forward to Palm Sunday and the Sunday of the Passion. We have the theme well in hand. When we come back, we'll see how it plays itself out in the other propers for this coming Sunday. Stay tuned. When a Christian woman is critical of her own flesh, she holds her creator in contempt. Rose Adel from her new book, Ladylike Living Biblically. Our Heavenly Father knit us together in the womb. He did not do a bad job. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 14. That goes for everyone, including the one who thinks she's the ugliest of them all. You can purchase and download Concordia Publishing House's new audiobook, Ladylike, Living Biblically, at Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Memoria Press invites all Issues Etc. listeners to explore our Simply Classical curriculum, a set of full-year academic curriculum packages for children with learning challenges. Our classical writing program and our Christian studies are now based on your favorite CPH Bible storybooks. To learn more, visit classicalspecialneeds.com and use promo code LPR to save on your initial purchase. That's classicalspecialneeds.com. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. At Concordia Evangelical Lutheran Church of Wilmington, Delaware, our mission is to serve our community by sharing Christian hope. We've been doing this since 1938 and joyfully continue to do so in the 21st century. If you're ever in the city that DuPont Chemical Corporation calls home or is known by some as the credit card capital of the world, we hope you visit to receive Jesus through his word and sacrament. Otherwise, check us out on the web at concordiawilmington.com. Our cities are some of the greatest mission fields on the planet, but the footprint of the church is shrinking. We dare not shrink from our cities. Christ is needed now in our urban areas. From chaos, turmoil, decay, death, and destruction, Jesus brings peace, hope, resurrection, eternal life, and rebuilding. And you can help by being a hero for the city. Find out how at lcms.org slash citymission or on Facebook at LCMS City Mission. Every city needs a hero. Capes and helmets not required.
That's the third stanza of the Palm Sunday hymn, All Glory, Laud, and Honor. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Palm Sunday and Sunday of the Passion. Dr. Carl Fikentcher is our guest. The intro it is, well, it's a mixture of things here. It's a mixture of Psalm 24 and the psalm that you have mentioned, and we will mention again, Psalm 118. Right. And it's an interesting combination because Psalm 24, as you mentioned, is not something we necessarily associate with this time of year. I'll read the intro and see if you recognize uh, a significant portion of the intro that is really going with, in our minds, a different season and yet very appropriate here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The antiphon is from Psalm 118, as we've already mentioned, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That sounds very Palm Sunday to us. But the middle verses, the verses from Psalm 24, perhaps do ring a bell in people's minds because we have two magnificent Advent hymns that are based on Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Uh, two, two versions of that, one including a, a very nice new uh, version by Stephen Starkey, a beautiful uh, new hymn. Uh, so it may perhaps ring in our minds uh, a picture of Advent, and that's not at all inappropriate. In fact, we may remember very well that the first Sunday in Advent, the gospel reading actually may be the Palm Sunday event. There is a significant overlap there. Of course, we realize that Palm Sunday is about Christ coming, the triumphal entry. We certainly picture gates being open to him, ancient doors inviting him to come in as the king. That certainly is what the crowds were hoping for on Palm Sunday. The significant thing to remind ourselves again, as we will in all the propers, is how, in fact, this really is Christ entering into the holy place which means going in at the cost of his life to secure our redemption. We have those words of, of, of glory again and again, the king of glory, the king of glory, that's repeated again and again and again. And that's where, once again, we may take a wrong tack in thinking that the king of glory is one who is always glorious in the sense that we would expect, that we would picture glory. He looks good coming in here on the crowd on Palm Sunday, although he's on that donkey, not the mighty war horse. He will not look good at all, however, when he's hanging on the cross. To all eyes, that is anything but glorious. And yet that is how Christ is in fact the king of glory because God's greatest glory is not simply to pull rank on the fact that he is eternal and omnipotent. That, of course, is exactly what God is. Jesus has always been and has almighty power. But God's greater glory is in that the one who created all things, who controls all things, who has all power, who knows all things, humbled himself to care about his creatures who had sinned against him. That's real glory. That's the greatest glory. And so the intro, it reminds us of this in a way we might overlook, but let's not. By the way, one other quick note, people might notice quite astutely that there is no Gloria Patri 
with the intro at this week, as there almost always is. The reason is the omission of the Gloria during Holy Week. We've omitted the Gloria in Excelsis, the hymn of praise, throughout the season of Lent. Now we actually, during this last week, even take out the Gloria Patri. So that's also focusing on the passion, the suffering that is coming ahead. After the intro, we have our collect for, well, this dual purpose Sunday. What do we find? Almighty and everlasting God, you sent your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross. Mercifully grant that we may follow the example of his great humility and patience and be made partakers of his resurrection. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The focus, of course, here is that Christ has taken on our flesh to suffer and die upon the cross. And we pray that we would be partakers also of his resurrection. That's, that's the focus uh, for the collect this particular Sunday. Remember, once again, Christ does live and reign. That's very glorious, but his glory comes through the cross. What would you say about the Old Testament reading? The Old Testament reading is also one that is well chosen for this day. It is the third servant song in Isaiah. We've talked about a couple of the servant songs recently. And the the third and fourth servant songs in particular focus on the suffering of Christ. Isaiah 50, verse 4 through verse 9a. I won't read all of it this time, but I'll read just a couple of verses that remind us of the elements we're picking up this week. Verse 6 This is actually the Lord Christ speaking prior, of course, by about 700 years to his incarnation. But through the prophet Isaiah, he says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. In some ways, this passage, verse 6, to me is as vivid as any portion of the Passion account in the Gospels or elsewhere prophesied in the Old Testament. I gave my back to those who strike. There, there's that, that bloody, bloody picture of, of the, the one who is, who is being whipped, being flogged the way Jesus was by Pontius Pilate in a way that would have opened up deep, deep wounds in the back, the, the, the whips that would tear open the flesh, a, a grotesque kind of picture. And I, I, my cheeks I give to those who pull out my beard. Uh, we don't have a detail in the Gospels that says that literally happened, but we have it prophesied here. It probably did. At least uh, as, as Jesus was being mocked and abused, there were probably those who came up and, and yanked on, on his facial hair. And imagine how painful that is and how, how disgusting. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. We know that they spit upon Jesus with a terrible disgrace. But since the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Christ does go to that that horrible disgrace, that horrible suffering. We're reminded of this even as we see him entering Jerusalem triumphantly. But that triumphal entry really is Christ entering into the place where he will suffer, entering into the holy place at the cost of his life for our salvation. Dr. Carl Fikentcher is our guest. He is professor of pastoral ministry and missions, teaching primarily in the area of preaching at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. 
Issues Etc. is brought to you in part today by Lutheran Federal Credit Union. Lutheran FCU offers deposit accounts and loans and has service access at thousands of branch and ATMs nationwide. Lutheran FCU was created solely to serve LCMS workers, families, and entities. You can find out more at LutheranFCU.org. Serving the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate community, LutheranFCU.org. Org. On the other side of the break, we have mentioned it already because you can hardly go through Palm Sunday without finding it. Psalm 118, we'll look at a few of the verses and some of the other propers for this coming Sunday. Do you know the five things you definitely should not hear in an Easter sermon? Better still, would you recognize the five things you absolutely should? Here's a hint. Expect to hear Jesus. Read the April edition of The Lutheran Witness to learn more. Not a subscriber? Go to cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness for a special offer of six issues for only $6.99. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness. Are you in the Chicagoland area? Do you want to go to a movie? Come see Martin Luther, The Idea That Changed the World on Thursday, April 27th at the Movie Co. Movie Theater in Rosemont, Illinois. This event is being hosted by St. John's Lutheran Church Chicago and tickets must be purchased in advance. Go to stjohnchicago.org and click the Martin Luther movie icon on the right. That's stjohnchicago.org to purchase tickets to the movie, Martin Luther, The Idea That Changed the World. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, lutheranpublicradio.org. Your pastor has been called to shepherd you as a member of Christ's flock. Doxology offers an innovative program of advanced study retreats where your pastor can be refreshed, renewed, and refocused. Find out more at doxology.us. Many pastors report that doxology has been one of the most valuable learning experiences since seminary. Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel. Doxology.us. Doxology.us. Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Redeemer Lutheran, Mandeville, Louisiana. Our Savior Lutheran, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. Christ Lutheran, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Emmanuel Lutheran, Louisville, Nebraska. Grace Lutheran, Warmister, Pennsylvania. Trinity Lutheran, Valonia, Indiana. Emmanuel Lutheran, Pensacola, Florida, St. Athanasius Lutheran, Vienna, Virginia, and Emmaus Lutheran, St. Louis, Missouri. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org, click support, and print the one-page flyer. 
When your congregation joins the Issues Etc. 300, we'll publicize your congregation on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Issuesetc.org. Click support. The Issues Etc. 300. final stanza of the hymn, All Glory, Laud, and Honor. We're looking forward to Palm Sunday on the Sunday of the Passion. Dr. Carl Fikentry is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We've already discussed Psalm 118 at some length here, and I should point out that it's not only a prominent feature of Palm Sunday and Sunday of the Passion, but of every Sunday morning in many churches, isn't it? That's right. It absolutely is. It's it's featured in a number of ways. In fact, I'll read a few selected verses and see how familiar some of these verses ring in our ears. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. I give you thanks that you have answered me, and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Yes, we recognize a lot of these words already from things we've said today. We also recognize that closing verse, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, as part of our communion liturgy that we speak again and again, Sunday after Sunday. Other phrases like, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. We hear that in all kinds of different settings. This certainly is a magnificent celebration of coronation, which is very suited, uh, well suited to Palm Sunday, open to me the gates of righteousness. We see Christ streaming in with the crowds into the city of Jerusalem through those gates. The picture is very, very vivid. We have the, that phrase, save us, we pray, O Lord. That's Hosanna. That's that, uh, uh, that shout from the crowd. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We know all that from Palm Sunday, and that's a beautiful expression as well. But not hidden and not to be overlooked is verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus spoke these words in his teachings to the resistors during Holy Week. 
And it's very, very true that while the crowds welcome Jesus, ultimately he is going to be rejected. I think, as a matter of fact, one of the most amazing ironies that strikes us from Psalm 118 is that Jesus was able to pray this psalm this particular week. In fact, this was probably the closing hymn of the liturgy at the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday night. Jesus knows exactly where he's going. He knows he's the stone that is going to be rejected. And yet, amazingly, he is able to pray, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. One would certainly think, when you know that you're about to be rejected, even rejected by the Heavenly Father, for the salvation of the world, that it would be terribly difficult to give thanks to the Lord and say he is good. The greatest injustice miscarriage of justice in the history of the human race, Jesus knows is about to happen. And yet, because he knows that going to the cross is going to be the salvation of the world, he still is able to recognize that the Lord is good and that his steadfast love, even when Christ himself is rejected by the Father, endures, is never interrupted, is never broken. Great psalm for this day and for this week. The epistle reading is familiar territory in Philippians chapter 2. How does it fit within the theme that we've talked about for this coming Sunday? Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is the epistle lesson for all three years, A, B, and C years for this Sunday of the Passion. And it's quite clear that we have a a very detailed, vivid expression from St. Paul of what Jesus went through. The, The connection between the first and second part is, I think, the part worth noting. Paul talks about Christ who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Much to be preached here. This is the text from which we find our doctrine of the humiliation of Christ, where he does not use all of his divine powers at all times, and the exaltation of Christ, where After his resurrection, he does henceforth use all of those powers fully and completely. But for our purposes that I really appreciate this day, it's that hinge, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him. Again, on Palm Sunday, we see what looks like wonderful exaltation of Christ. It looks as if the crowds are receiving him. He's popular. He's well-received. But St. Paul recognizes that Jesus isn't exalted by the Father because the crowds welcome him, because he comes as a, as a glorious, uh, a powerful kind of ruler. Not at all. Therefore, God has exalted him, harkens back to the previous verses where he empties himself and becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's Jesus giving up his life on the cross St. Paul says, that is the therefore, is the reason for Christ's exaltation. And that really does capture this theme for Palm Sunday, Sunday the Passion that we've been working at again and again. 
On the other side of the break, it's the gospel reading, actually the second gospel reading for this coming Sunday. We heard John chapter 12, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as the processional gospel. And we'll have the gospel reading for the Sunday of the Passion, Matthew 26, 27 verses of it after this. The world may tell us that Easter is about eggs and chocolate bunnies, but we Christians know that there would be no Easter without Jesus' death and resurrection. Emmanuel Press has just released an Easter card with beautiful artwork that confesses Christ's victory over death and his redemption of mankind. You can find this card and others at emmanuelpress.us, E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L press.us. Have you been too busy to get your associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options. Find out more at issuesetc.org. Click the Concordia University online logo and enter the program code ISSUES to waive your application fee. Concordia University, Wisconsin is here to strengthen and support the church. Lifelong Lutheran Learning issuesetc.org and click Concordia University, Wisconsin online. The cross is our theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. In Western societies where the most basic notions of right and wrong are not only denied but actively suppressed, recovering a biblical and distinctly Christian understanding of the natural law is absolutely essential. Aaron Wolf of Chronicles Magazine talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Traditionally, Christians have understood that man is not born a blank slate just waiting to be programmed like a machine. We are moral creatures whose imaginations are darkened by sin. Yet every person still has a basic understanding of right and wrong because God has revealed it to us in his creation through natural law. Denying the vital role of natural law has grave consequences not only for society, but for the church's crucial task of proclaiming the gospel. You can meet and hear Aaron Wolf making the case for natural law Friday, June 9th and Saturday, June 10th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. Without complaint 
The hymn, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth, it's one of the hymns of the day for this coming Sunday, and a beautiful segue into the Sunday of the Passion Gospel, an extended reading from Matthew's account of Jesus' Passion. Dr. Fikancher, how would you take us into this? Well, after celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry, and we've observed that that really is his entry into the holy places by means of his blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, it's time for that to happen now. The Lamb is now to go uncomplaining forth, welcomed by the crowds at Palm Sunday, but as the week goes on, the objections, the resistance rises, and the plot among those who would have Jesus out of the way is reaching its fruition. Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 1, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, so many teachings throughout the week, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus has no misgivings, no misunderstanding about what's coming up. We hear that the plot is being hatched by the chief priests and the elders of the people to kill him. Jesus goes to dinner at the house of Simon the leper in Bethany. And while it's happening, verse 7, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. This woman knows exactly what's coming up, that Jesus' death is coming very, very soon. Then one of the twelve, who was named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us go and prepare the Passover? And Jesus sends them into the city and they prepare the Passover. But at dinner, Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to one another, is it I, Lord? Jesus, of course, reveals that it's going to be Judas. And once again, there's no question about where this is all headed. Jesus will be betrayed into death. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it again anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus knows exactly what he is giving. When he gives his blood, it is the blood that will be soon poured out on the cross. And when they had sung a hymn, which very possibly was Psalm 118, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus knows what it means to be stricken. The shepherd will be stricken. He will be nailed to the cross. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, 
before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Then Jesus went out with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here and watch over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus knows what's coming. Remain here and watch and pray with me. And after going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. While Jesus was now speaking to the disciples, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, This one I will kiss. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I can appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Then they who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is this these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him, and led him away, and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. And from here, Todd, the week continues, ultimately with Jesus going to the cross. And we'll pick up on that for next week. So finally here, what would, with a, a minute or two or less, what would you say in this very full Sunday and week <laughs> that we're looking forward to with you? What should we be looking forward to, looking for this coming Sunday? At every reading this week, listen for indications of what is coming ultimately when Jesus goes to the cross. Amidst all the, the pomp and glory and all the things that we celebrate at Palm Sunday, listen for those words. Oh, Lord, save us. Hosanna. And we know how that will take place. Listen for the objections of the Pharisees. Listen for the, the plot going on around Jesus. Listen to Jesus' words about what is happening when he pours out his blood and gives his body in the sacrament of Holy Communion. Listen how at every juncture 
Jesus understands exactly what is before him. He is going to the cross. And let each one of those be a reminder to us that every day, not just Holy Week, but every day points us to Jesus' suffering and death for our salvation. And that will give us a wonderful basis for celebrating at the end of Holy Week when we see Jesus rising at Easter. Dr. Carl Fikancher is Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Fikancher, thank you. Thank you so much, Todd. Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Will Whedon, has written an article for the latest Lutheran Witness magazine about the Easter Vigil. You can also read columns on four things you should and shouldn't hear in an Easter sermon and more. Find out more at cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness. You can receive six issues for only $6.99, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. The Lutheran Witness, cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness. In Hour 2 of Issues, etc., Pastor Brian Wolfmiller joins us for our continuing series on Christian devotion. We're going to be talking about meditating on the text of Scripture. This isn't Eastern meditation. This isn't clearing your mind, but in fact, filling your mind with God's active Word. Then Bill McKeever of Mormonism Research Ministry will be our guest to talk about a recent call from Mormon leaders to encourage more baptisms for the dead. And we'll talk about Mike Pence and his comments on marriage and the left's reaction with Pastor Hans Feeney. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.